With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Since you're a fan of Latina to Latina, then you must check out Tamarindo Podcast with Ana Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez. Tamarindo Podcast features Latinx voices at the intersection of politics, pop culture, and life. With the addition of Ana Sheila, the show will also delve into wellness, stress detox, and balance. Join in on the fun as hosts and guests discuss important issues impacting the Latinx community, the latest chisme, and balance it all con calma. Subscribe to Tamarindo Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and at tamarindopodcast.com. Part of what clicked for me and part of what I hope to click for other people, especially who came from backgrounds like me, was giving up this idea of needing to save the world. Deciding that my life and how I live my life matters and deciding that, you know what, I don't have to be what other people want me to be. Like giving myself that freedom to just go with what I wanted to do. Dr. Laura Scott is a Harvard Med School graduate and dermatology resident. When she's not in clinics or on rotations, she's sharing her journey through medicine and motherhood on her blog, A Bit of Lacquer. Her candid Instagram posts touch on everything from advice for aspiring medical students to the challenges of being a fully present mom for her three girls and a good doctor for her patients. Thank you for coming from drop off directly here to record <laughs> in the five minutes you have to yourself once oh a week. Gosh, yeah, it was it was just fine. Thank you so much for having me. So doctors always get asked to diagnose people. <laughs> what is the craziest thing you've ever been asked to diagnose? Oh, my gosh. So as dermatologists, everything is visible. And mm -hmm. so people feel so much more comfortable showing you anything. So I've literally had a lady whip out her boob right on the elevator. <laughs> Like, didn't know her. She just saw my white coat, and it says dermatology. And she literally just whipped out her boob on the elevator. Yeah. 
in clinic. I've seen a bajillion crazy things. Of course, but that's appropriate. But it's appropriate, right? That's the expectation. You know, patients should feel comfortable getting completely undressed. We see this all the time. And breasts I see all the time. But to have a complete stranger just be like, oh, you're a dermatologist? What do you think this? <laughs> and she just like completely like palmed the nipple, lifted it up. It was like over here near her axillary fold. And I was just like, wow. I did give her a diagnosis because I felt like I had to help. You know, she she went all out there, so I did feel like I had yeah. to help her. It yeah. was a little bit of intertrigo, which is very common, especially here in Miami where it's humid. So, you know, I made some over-the-counter recommendations, but I was like, okay. You can't just be giving away that medical care you, for free, though. Well, you can't, yeah. And then there's, you know, there becomes liability issues, right. too. This is something that's super benign and it's nothing bad, but, you know, you can't take on that liability. So, Your mom's a nurse. Your dad also worked in healthcare. Do you feel like it was your destiny to become a doctor? Absolutely not. No. I mean, my mom was a nurse, but she didn't know any other options. And she just always wanted to be a nurse. I grew up watching her take care of my grandmother for quite a bit of time. And so I got to see that. And I did always appreciate that role that she played. And I thought it was a very noble you know, service role. But early on in high school, I was like completely down the wrong path. So I didn't think that was actually something that was attainable for me. I was always an academic, you know, my grandmother was a teacher's assistant and she was just always about education. And so I think growing up, I was smart, you know, and I don't think I ever lost that, but you just lose the care to be smart. You know, it becomes not cool to be smart. You're a nerd, you know, all that stuff. If you come from school's like I went to, you know, large, huge public schools where kids are sitting on the radiators, the teachers feel like babysitters. So I, I just really lucked out with this one teacher who reminded me that I actually was smart. And it was nice to hear that from somebody who wasn't related to you. Your dad's African-American. Mm-hmm. Your mom's Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. What influence did those cultures have growing up in your house? Everything. Both my parents always worked super duper full time. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually very lucky for that. Like, I'm very grateful that they did because my grandparents were in the picture. And I I guess it's Mm. not just that they were working full time because they could have been working full time and like me, had to put their kids in daycare. But my grandparents were all around. And so every day after school, my abuelo would pick me up. I'd be with them from like probably 3 to 6 p.m. every single day. Is that why your Spanish is so good? That's why I can speak Spanish. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's so good, but no. No, I I remember watching an Instagram video where you were singing in Spanish and I was like, Damn it. Like she speaks Spanish too on top yes, of everything and I, else. I, I am fluent. Yeah. So they couldn't speak any English. My abuelo knew how to speak like a tiny bit enough to like navigate the bus system. Right. And my abuela was like refused to learn English. She didn't need to. And so thanks to them, I am able to communicate in Spanish, which is really important, not just for my children, but for my patients. You know, mm-hmm. here in Miami, I'd say the large majority of my patients speak Spanish. So I am super lucky for that. But then every summer, my parents never sent us to summer camp. We like stayed with my grandmother on my dad's side. So my African-American grandmother. And she still lived in the house that they had lived in all throughout my dad's childhood, right in the hood. It became the hood. It used to be a very nice neighborhood for, you know, African-American families. But it was just, it was so important. I mean, I was just always raised with all of the stories from her childhood, from her, you know, passing for white. She was a very light-skinned African-American woman. And then she married uh, my grandfather, who was much darker skinned. And I remember, you know, the stories of her friends thinking it was so scandalous and finally having to say, like, I'm I'm black, you know. And she didn't realize that she was benefiting off of that. But clearly she was, you know, benefiting off of that. But it was it was just always part of 
you know, how we grew up, knowing the foods that we ate, everything that was cooked, and just hearing all of the stories was really uh, formative for me. And how do you think about it now, you and your husband, Nathan, as you raise your three girls? For us, it's just so important that they know their worth and that they know their history, you know, Mm -hmm. that they know their dark skin does make them different. Mm but that that's not a bad thing. And that if anybody ever tries to tell them that, they should realize that that person is wrong. You know, I I try so hard to protect them from internalizing any of the negativity they may have. I still remember so vividly one of the first times we had all gone to the grocery store in Boston and this homeless lady, we were like going in and this homeless lady was coming in after us. So Nathan had held the door for her. And she literally said, I don't need the help of no nigger. I don't need the help of no nigger and your little nigglet talking because I had live in the baby carrier and that was the first time now don't get me wrong we've we've heard it thrown around and you know you get all the microaggressions and like thrown at you directly this was the first time like in 2013 to be called a nigger and to have my child be called a nigglet I was like wow this is still so again we know that it's real you can't be aware and keeping up with politics and not know that it's real but to have it be that direct in your face I was like wow there are still I mean this is This is for real. My kids need to know that there is nothing at all wrong with them and they are fully capable of anything it is they want to do. You've spoken pretty extensively about how growing up you were exposed to death and illness at a very young age. Um, Your grandparents had diabetes, heart disease. You lost family members to gang violence, domestic violence, drug abuse. Those are all difficult memories, and I wonder if there's one, though, that sticks out to you as having had the biggest impact on your life. Well, I'd say there's two, and there's two that really impacted me in different ways, Mm -hmm. you know. And so one was just seeing my grandmother suffer through diabetes, and that's, for a while, I almost felt like I wasn't allowed to be upset about that because it's so common. Yep. But that doesn't mean it's not something to be upset about just Mm -hmm. because it's common means we need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. I was the one who would go with her to her doctor's appointments and I would translate for her and all her doctor's appointments. And I just remember, you know, this, the doctor that she had, he was clearly very smart. You know, he was in all other aspects, seemed like a perfectly competent doctor, but he was so blameful in how he treated her diabetes. Mm -hmm. You know, he was so paternalistic and saying, you can't eat this anymore and you can't eat that and you're not checking your blood sugar. It was just, and my grandmother just never even listened to him, which, yes, that's her fault, but there were better ways to do it. And to see her finally, you know, unfortunately have two strokes and and see how that affected her memory. Like my mom didn't even want me to visit her at the end because Mm -hmm. she didn't know who anybody was. But to see how that unraveled and, and how I think a better doctor who was more culturally competent could have maybe had an effect. The other experience was my cousin and my aunt being murdered by my uncle. And she had just gotten her senior pictures in the mail. And we had just, like, put up all of her senior pictures. And and then you get that news. And I still remember my mom's, like, shriek when she got the phone call. And then, like, literally watching it on the news, like, seeing the body bags pulled out of the house. You're like, those are my people. And my uncle did that. That was probably one of the most traumatic things you can undergo, you know, and my cousin ended up moving in with us. So we were even closer to that trauma. Like it was it was a constant reminder because he became my big brother. We're the ones who took him in. And so I feel like I wasn't allowed to feel all that pain because he was the one who had the most pain. So there was a lot of internalizing my experiences with that. So those those were big for me. And it's I'm not like 
happy that any of those things happen, but I feel like you have to take everything that happens in your life as, as learning experiences and figure out how you're going to live right. now that that's happened. And for me, it's always actually been, you know, you try to make it an empowering thing, something that helps give you perspective so that when I did bad on my MCAT or when I, you know, didn't get into a summer research program that I wanted to, and a lot of people for them, that was like the biggest defeat they had felt and like the end of the world. And I'm like... It's going to be okay. Guys, you have no idea. Yeah. Let's talk then about getting into Harvard Med, <laughs> which has got to be wild, just getting the acceptance letter. Yeah. And then matriculating. Because if we talk a lot about imposter syndrome, I feel like there's nothing like Harvard for imposter syndrome. Oh, and I think that's especially true if there aren't a lot of people on campus who look like you and have the experience that you've had. Mm-hmm. So what was your experience of entering the world that is Harvard Medical yeah. School. So I think we had a very different experience. And I say we because we were very purposeful. So I met my husband interviewing on the interview trail from Columbia School. We, yeah, we met actually interviewing at Columbia. And then we met up again during this Harvard Revisit weekend. And the group that we had there, I had met almost all of these people at different points along the interview trail. All minorities, all people who just had very similar values. Those things come up really quickly. And I think other people don't quite understand that if they don't come from similar backgrounds. But if you do, you identify those things and they become topics of conversation really quickly. And so for our Harvard Revisit weekend, we were all there and we were like, guys, we have to just all come here. We can make this what we want if we just all come here and we can support each other. And that's what we ended up doing. So I actually had an incredible group of best, best friends. I mean, one of the people in that group ended up marrying us. And then the other one is like my best friend in the whole wide world. And these people are now my people like for life. For life. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swathers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swathers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. 
Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. I have been wearing glasses since I was six years old, and I still find it so overwhelming to go into a store and pick out a new pair. It's why I really love Warby Parker's free home try-on program. You get to order five pairs of glasses and try them on for five days. I don't have to buy any if I don't want to. They ship them for free and include a prepaid return label. Super easy. I just got my five pairs of glasses and loved trying them on in the comfort of my home, on my schedule, totally pressure-free. I bought my last pair of glasses at Warby Parker, so I already knew that I loved their quality and design, but it was so great to have the time and space to choose which pair was best for me. As usual, Warby Parker glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Lenses come with anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings, and blue light filtering lenses are also available. If you have an iPhone 10, make sure to download Warby Parker's app, where you can use their brand new virtual try-on. It allows you to try on eyeglasses, seeing the color, texture, and size of each style just using your phone. Head to warbyparker.com Latina to order your free home try-on today. One of the things I hadn't thought about as someone who is not a doctor is that if you take the MCATs, you go to medical school, you start sinking money into that education, and then you have a moment where you think, I don't know if I want to do this. You are down a river without you a paddle. You are so screwed. You're screwed. Yeah. And it seems, from the response I watch from your followers, a lot of people have that moment oh, where yes. you wonder, is this still for me? Mm-hmm. What was your moment? So... My moment, you know, I absolutely had that. And I think everybody does, which is why I'm so vocal about my experiences. My moment was really by the second year of medical school. You have this now big test looming ahead of you, step one, which is the first step of your USMLE licensing boards that every doctor has to go through. And step one is the biggest test of your lifetime, basically. It dictates, you know, there's a lot where you need to get a good score to make it to the next step. This is one that dictates what specialty you can go to. And so I hit this point where I'm studying my butt off for this test. I'm not seeing my family because our breaks didn't match up. And when I did have a break, I felt like I had to be studying. And at the end of the day, you're seeing you're seeing your end of the tunnel and it's all like miserable people, <laughs> you know, and and it was just this is why I decided not to become an attorney because yeah. I was like, I don't know any happy attorneys. I, exactly. And it's really demoralizing and it really like beats up on any type of motivation you had, any desire to succeed. It's like, wait, what am I killing myself for? Right. Like, why am I not going out and having fun and doing all this stuff? And you start to see. Wait, so then how did you whip around? So the blog was my savior. So I looked around a lot and I did a lot of looking around, but everybody I saw was unhappy in medicine. And by this time, I had already started the blog. I had started entering second year because I knew this was going to happen and I wanted to hold myself accountable for my normal human things that I enjoyed, like cooking and getting dressed. I was like, we're going to still do this. And I'm going to start this blog and take pictures so that I can do it. I'll hold myself accountable. 
And thankfully, I, I kept up with it. And I ended up building, you know, joining a little community in Boston of like Boston bloggers. And it just happened to overlap with my dermatology rotation, finally. And these doctors came in and it sounds silly, but they like came in, they like looked great. They like knew how to dress, which again, sounds, you know, sounds silly, but it tells you a lot. It tells you that these people at least have time to like get dressed in the morning. And most of them were genuinely happy. And they were like, you know, before class would start, they're like talking about taking their kids to the apple orchard that weekend and doing this. And oh yeah, they were setting up dinner. They were clearly colleagues and clearly enjoyed spending time with their families. And it just became like this, wow, okay. So there's something out there. I I didn't know that dermatology was for me, honestly. Like I liked it and I was like, okay, so maybe this is what I'm going to do. And that became my motivation to study one of the most, if not the most competitive specialties. But as I went through medicine, I actually like moved away from dermatology. So for a while I was like back to liking surgery. Because to your point about our image of doctors, this will show that I'm older than you, ER. It's all about of the course, adre- Clooney, adrenaline yes. mm-hmm. of and the heroism of saving a life. Yes. And that's not what defines dermatology. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it's not that minute to minute, is this person going to make it right. or not mm-hmm. that some people chase. Yeah. And I think that part of what clicked for me and part of what I hope to click for other people, especially who came from backgrounds like me was giving up this idea of needing to save the world. Deciding that my life and how I live my life matters and deciding that, you know what, I don't have to be what other people want me to be and I don't even have to be what I wanted to be. Like giving myself that freedom to just go with what I wanted to do, regardless of what I wanted to do five years ago. You know, and I got there and... There definitely weren't times where, you know, people would make jokes like, oh, yeah, she decided she didn't want to be a real doctor. And I'm like, I don't know if we can swear on this. <laughs> Go ahead. Fuck off. You know, like, really? And and it's it's cool because most dermatologists, we brag, you know, like, yeah, they like to say that until they have to consult dermatology because we do actually have a few life threatening things where, like, dermatology saves the day. So you can still do that. You got engaged and you had your daughter, Olivia, in your third year of medical school. Mm-hmm. That was a crazy hard time because, one, this being a like Latina podcast, I'll say quite honestly, like my first concern was like, oh, my gosh, I'm falling into that statistic. Like I thought I beat my odds of not getting pregnant in high school, not getting pregnant in college. Now they're still going to think of me as this like, you know, teen mom, even though I'm not a teen. And finally, I was like, again, screw them. I don't care what they think. And it literally happened the first month off my birth control. Like I hadn't even I don't think I even had a period yet. And I remember just being like, fuck. But also, like, this is what I've always wanted. Right. It's just sooner than when I wanted it. But does that mean I shouldn't have it now just because it's earlier in my plan? Like, and so thankfully we got way past that. Nathan's like, no, we have to do this now. Are you kidding me? And and thankfully he was like just so gung-ho about it that I was like, okay, we got this. Like, you and me against the world. And that's sort of the position that we took. Hey, since you like our show, I want to take a minute to tell you about something new and exciting. Think about all the people you know, then all the people that they know. All of those relationships form a complicated, interconnected web. Wonder Media Network's brand new show, Web of Women, dives into what makes us who we are as individuals and communities. 
The host, Jenny Kaplan, starts things off by interviewing four women she knows from different parts of her life. Then each of those women picks someone to interview, and so on. They talk about politics, gender, religion, and other facets of identity. Web of Women is a new kind of podcast that illuminates the intersection of relationships, identity, and community. Check out and subscribe to Web of Women, spelled W-M-N, wherever you listen to podcasts. Dr. Scott, what is the biggest misconception about having a career in medicine? That you can't have anything else. You know, and again, I think a lot of it comes from watching these shows like ER and Grey's Anatomy and seeing that their lives, even if they try to have some semblance of a life, it always falls apart because medicine is this all-encompassing thing. And yeah, maybe that's what it was, but it's not what it has to be and it's not what it is any, any longer. And so that, I think, is the biggest misconception. What three things should a woman of color know that no one tells them but you've learned if they want a career in medicine? I think most women of color will will know this, you know, know that you're going to deal with all of the microaggressions Mm -hmm. and they're just going to come at you all the time, whether it's about your hair, whether it's, you know, getting the so common compliment of, oh, you're so well-spoken. You know, I did my first presentation and that's always the thing. You're so well-spoken. And it's like, well, what the hell did you expect? And those are the little microaggressions that everybody We'll have already experienced if yep. they're the point of getting into medicine, but just know that that doesn't end. Doesn't you know, you're still Because there's a part a, of you that wants to believe, listen, you part, say, I go to Harvard Med absolutely. School, and then that's done. There's we did it. There's a part of you that wants to think that, like, you've made it. Mama, I made it, right? And that all of a sudden that white coat is going to protect you from something. But let me tell you, when we're driving, I'm still fearful for Nathan's life. And I, like, if the cops start coming around, I'm like, oh, my God, please don't let him get pulled over. Please don't let him get pulled over. And I don't think other people have to worry about that. No. And the fact that we're doctors doesn't change any of that. You know, we're not walking out in our white coats. Your accomplishments get, I don't want to say taken away from you, but it doesn't afford you any extra luxuries when you're outside. You know, of course it does, because now we have more money. We have more knowledge. We have so much privilege. And so I don't ever mean to not acknowledge that, that the education and the status that we've worked for now does give us more privilege. But at the end of the day, like, it's not changing anything. And at the end of the day, doctors are all humans, and they're all coming in with their biases. And that's just going to be magnified, you know, in medical school, in medical training, on the wards. So I would say I always tell them, wear your raincoats, let it slip off of you, because the other unfortunate thing is you're going to feel like you have to combat the stereotypes even more. And so it's so hard to hold in your your anger, but you're always trying to hold in your anger for fear of becoming that angry black woman or for fear of becoming that feisty Latina. And and it's it's so frustrating because you hear how other women, white women, can voice their aggressions. And sometimes it's, you know, oh, they're just a woman. It's her hormones. But they don't deal with the extra layer of, you know, what they look like and that it's that it's their their race or their ethnicity, whatever it may be. So I tell them wear their raincoat, let it all roll off you. You know, there are a lot of built-in mechanisms now to give real feedback. And so I always use those avenues. You know, I would tear down attendings who were racist or made assumptions. I would tear them down in the reviews. Two doctors at home, but your social media paid partnerships sustain a lot of your life. Oh, yeah. That must surprise people. Oh, yeah. Well, because, again, people think you're a doctor, you've made it, and they don't realize 
Well, one, even if we didn't have to take out loans, residency does not pay nearly enough. So it was just very cool when things started rolling in. That was completely not my focus at all. It was more to hold myself accountable. And then when people started realizing what I was doing, a lot of girls were just getting motivation from it. You know, they had never seen a young black doctor who also liked doing this or liked doing that. And they always thought those things were mutually exclusive. And I'd say it probably wasn't until I had kids, really, that, you know, that market sort of opens up of the mommy blogger Mm -hmm. type thing. And so more of my partnerships are along those lines. I'm very selective with my partnerships because I really do you have to stay authentic. You know, my biggest goal is to just create an empowering community of of girls who know that they can do anything they want to do and that anything can also be paying the bills by having a blog. And so I like to show that that part of it, too. There's a photo of you that I hadn't seen until I prepped for this interview. So there's a photo of you, Nathan, and Olivia from your Harvard graduation. Oh, yeah, that one. And you and Nathan are in your cap and gown and you have on Black Lives Matter buttons and Olivia's at like peak toddler chubby and she has one of your stethoscopes in and she's listening to Nathan's heart and that photo went viral around the time of your graduation. Why do you think it got the response it did? We like to celebrate black excellence. We must celebrate black excellence. And I think that that's what came up. And I think because we were wearing the Black Lives Matter, you know, it immediately identified it as like black excellence. Mm -hmm. But I think equally it could have gone into any Latina excellence Mm -hmm. thing. But, you know, people don't know your backgrounds based on a picture. There was a lot of debate about what my background was, right? He always has to settle, you know, black guy always has to settle for some white girl, some Latina. They can never. And I'm like, excuse me, actually, he's half white and half black. I'm a little bit. If you really want to get technical, I'm more black than. (laughs) But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Not in a picture. It really frustrates me that people try to box you in and they always want to define you in the way that works best for them and and what their expectations are. But um, I I think it went viral because we needed it to go viral. Like, I wish more things like that would go viral because there's so much, you know, minorities just doing incredible things in science and law and in politics and every field, you know. When Olivia sees that picture... What do you want her to know about that day? Well, I want her to know that she didn't hold me back from anything, you know, that we did it all with her and for her. It's fun because I was actually pregnant with Ellie while I walked across the stage, too. So I think I was maybe three or four months pregnant with Ellie. And so for me, it's really important that she just knows there are no mutually exclusive things, maybe a few, but there, like, don't let anybody's expectations or what they deem possible define what's actually possible. Mm-hmm. Like, you can do anything if you want to, and it doesn't mean that you're going to do everything, but you can do anything. And you just have to want it bad enough. You have to find your tribe. You have to find your why, because that's the biggest thing. At the end of the day, you need to know your why. You need to know it damn well. And it better be a good one. It can't be because my parents wanted me to or because I think it's prestigious. Those aren't going to last. Those whys do not last. It needs to be a good why. And you can do it. You can do anything. And so that's what I want her to see when she when she sees that. And usually now she just sees, I have a stethoscope. Where's that stethoscope? And she tears down the playroom looking for the stethoscope. <laughs> but someday she'll look at that picture. And I think I'm hoping that those are the things that she'll see. Dr. Scott, I have to go let you be Dr. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an afternoon clinic coming up. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle. Now the podcast is owned and executive produced by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me. Maria Muriel was the sound designer on this episode. We want to hear from you. Tell us who you want to hear from and how you're making the show a part of your life. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.